0: What's up? Welcome back. I'm Tedward, and this is the Respect the Drive podcast. Today, I have improved my mic quality. I hope that this sounds a heck of a lot better than the first two episodes, primarily. No more pee-pops and weird breathing sounds. But today, my guest is Eddie Siegel, who's actually my roommate, one of my closest friends. But since March, since COVID-19, we haven't been spending a lot of time together. And in fact, that stays true today... Because we didn't do this in person. I've got him over FaceTime. So I hope that that quality is all right with you. Should be fine. I think every other podcast is doing it this way at this point to try to limit exposure to other folks. But... That doesn't mean we don't still have our phenomenal studio space up at Garage 42 in Woburn, Mass., so big shout-out to them. We will be back up and running there pretty soon doing some in-person interviews. But before we get Eddie started today talking about how he's keeping his Honda Civic Type R cool on the track doing Time Attack events, I just wanted to say a big thank you to my Patreon supporters. You guys have really made the podcast and the YouTube channel possible lately. If you'd like to donate to that head on over to Patreon.com, search for Tedward Drives. And if you do have a car that you're looking to store, whether it's for the winter or for the foreseeable future, give Garage 42 a call. They'll set up a private tour for you to come see the facility and find out if it's the right home for your vehicle. So let's jump into it. Here's Eddie Siegel. Oh, so what's going on? Well, I figured I wanted to sit down and talk about the Honda because... When when I did that video on the 2021, or yeah, it's the 21 updates on the new Type R, I was talking about how they didn't actually solve the heating issues. And I got a lot of backlash from folks being like, what are you talking about, man? They opened up the grill. They did this, they did that. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, but none of that was enough because I was watching you build your time attack car and have almost no success with taming down the overheating issues. And you went... Easily double, triple, beyond what they had done, uh, what Honda had done. So when, when all, when this car got announced, especially what's the what's the yellow one called? That special edition.
1: Oh my god! Uh, I it's probably some sort of Japanese Zen garden. No, word. no, no. Um, They're,
0: they called it something. I don't know. It's it's. I it's, thought it
1: was just called the limited edition. I mean, I don't know the Phoenix Yellow Limited Edition. That's all I knew it of.
0: Yeah, maybe that is all it's called. I, you know, It's so insignificant to me because I looked at it and I said, this isn't worth anything. Whatever they're going to charge for this is not worth it.
1: What they did was they looked at the aftermarket and they tried to incorporate some of the most heavily modified parts that most people would do anyways and add them on their car. So they did two-piece rotors, which was nice, nice of them. Um, they did some stiffer bushings, which a lot of people would switch out. Um, and then they claimed, like you said, claimed to have solved or helped cool the cars down um, by adding or enlarging the front grille um, and apparently changing the radiator out from what I've been told, it's not actually any bigger, but it has more fins in it.
0: Oh, right, right, no, they changed the angle of the they changed the angle of the fins. whatever
1: they did. I mean I again. It's so insignificant, um, and I almost feel like it's, it's, it's really, I don't know, I think it's dishonest of Honda to say that they, or, or for people to say, oh, we have solved the cooling issue, you know, you can run this car out, we've got a new Log our app, so now you can take this thing on the track and log your oil temps. Yeah, now, and all you, this now, stuff. You
0: can, now you can now you can log the failure in real time. Exactly, you can log the amount of time before it overheats right, and so gives you a nice. B- before check we light. lose every Honda fanboy in the world who's listening, all, all <laughs> one hundred of them that are listening. Uh, what what about tell me about your car? Because your car, you you started it off bone stock. You just started running this car on the racetrack, and. It 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 was an amazing. I mean, for what it was, it did what it claimed to do. It was just that when you started actually pushing it, as far as time attack is concerned, it it did uh, it didn't hold up against the heat.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I bought a twenty seventeen Type R, like a lot of people did, and I took it on the track, bone stock, nothing done to it, and it was awesome. I mean. For what it is out of the box, even on those ridiculous wheels, it was really fast. I mean, absolutely insane. And I remember driving it and being like, this is going to blow people away if you put some sticky tires and brakes on it. So um, fast forward a year, um, I decided to turn it into my track car um, because my previous car sadly met fate with a giant puddle. Uh, rest God, in peace.
0: Rest in peace, Smokey. Smokey was yeah. an eighth-gen Civic Si that revved to like 9,200 rpm. We'll, we're going to talk about that later. Remind me. That we need to talk about that because I still get comments of people saying that you are a lying sack of shit <laughs> because the dyno. Uh. Ni- uh, I almost said 900. I dynoed 283 horsepower, and to this day, I get angry comments saying that I am a dishonest YouTuber who lies because of that number. Uh. But we'll, yeah, let's, stick, let's stick to this one for now. We'll get there. We'll get there.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll get there because um, we'll, we'll move backwards. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I decided to put some tires on it. I decided to put some brake pads, change the rotors out for two-piece rotors. And um, I went out there. And the car was awesome. But what I started to notice, just like a lot of people do who track this car, is very quickly, if you are driving, let's say... Um, more than seven-tenths, so an advanced driver. Um, so you're you're pushing it. The car decides to get really hot and pull timing and eventually overheat and, you know, go into a limp mode, um, which isn't uncommon on stock vehicles. Um, but this is the Type R. This is a car that did the Nürburgring in under eight minutes. This is a car that really should have had some more R&D. Uh, when it comes to the cooling capabilities. Um, But, so what I did is over, you know, the time period of a year, I decided to try and tackle some of these issues. Um, I changed the grill out. I changed the radiator out. I changed the intercooler out. um, And all, all of it really added up to giving me a little bit more time before it ended up overheating, before it eventually overheats. So I eventually had done a radiator, an oil cooler, an intercooler, um, which are the the, the three main things that most people do. And to, you know, to no avail, the car would still get very hot. Anything over 80 degrees, you're really going to have trouble. And, you know, you really have to just get one or two laps in and then pull the car over and let it cool
0: down. Right. So Um, when it first started, people were like, okay, We're going to, the first thing people did was the grill because it's cheap. You just get a, you get a different grill and you're like, all right, now we're pretty much there, but that wasn't enough. And also you got to remember a lot of track events are held in summertime and most racetracks in the U S are in the South or in Southern California. Like they're all like a normal American track day is 95 degrees plus. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that wasn't enough. So you went a, st- a couple steps further.
1: Yeah. I mean, I went further. I did an oil cooler, um, which is definitely the biggest uh, savior of that motor. Um, you, If you're tracking this car more than three times a year, you definitely should put an oil cooler on that car. Um, we actually covered this in one of your YouTube videos a while back.
0: We did, because um, we talked about like, I mean, every... It should be said that every car that isn't like a GT3 RS needs Absolutely. stuff to be mm-hmm. a consistent. Like there is almost no stock OEM car out of the factory that can go and run twenty minutes of hot lapping. It's just not a thing. That's not a thing. Even my M3, it needs an oil cooler. uh an STI needs an oil cooler. um All the every, everything that you get that's like, ooh, that's my new race car, you have to upgrade the cooling systems because. And and, and the folks who are vehemently denying that Honda has any issues are probably folks who just drive them on the street. And they, you know, sure, they're driving hard for the street. But you're not going to you're not going to overheat this car on a couple little back road mountain runs. No, no. Or
1: um, which is the other case is and I I hate to say this because I don't want to be sounding cocky. You're just not fast enough, and you're not getting to the limits of the car.
0: Agreed, and uh, and, and I see that a lot in the BMW community because a, like it's it's a it's pretty clear cut when you go onto a BMW Facebook group and say like, hey, I'm having oil issues. You'll you'll usually get ten guys that will immediately come back and be like, well, my car doesn't have any oil issues. It's like, yeah, but that's because you're shifting at 6,000 RPM and you're probably four or five seconds behind me. Exactly. And then every guy with a time attack car is like, oh my God, it's so bad. This is what you need to do. This is the oil cooler that's going to do the trick for you. It's like, you know, 1200 bucks, install it, never look back. Um, And again, I didn't build a time attack car. My car is just something that, hey, once in a while I can run out and do a track day. And I know that I need to keep my eye out. But at the same time, like I'm not racing wheel to wheel with anybody. So yeah, sure. We might go out and play a little cat and mouse with some other guys who are fast out there. And at some point, I'm going to just be like, oop, oil temps, and I'm going to back off. We don't pull into the pits and, and, and have an argument about like, hey man, I really walked you. They're just looking at me like, yeah, oil temps came up, and I'm like, yep.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, I think people forget that um, if you're not spending, it, it's, with exceptions, there are exceptions, like the Corvette and the Camaro zl one e those cars seem to have been designed for racetracks first um their cooling systems are significant but like you know if you're spending under eighty, ninety thousand dollars, usually you have to do some modifications and even still most of the time you have to do brake ducts radiators heat exchangers and and when you boost a car it just compounds the issues
0: oh ter- um, see that's the, another thing is people forget how hot turbos get Turbos are oh not, not f- track friendly. They really are not. You've got to do extra work. Yeah. I mean, it.
1: the turbo probably, I don't even know how hot it gets. It gets to a subatomic
0: temperature. <laughs> it's Chernobyl down there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I this year, I put a turbo blanket on it, uh, and it's definitely helped. But it's still, you could roast a pig on this thing. I Oof. mean, it is so hot.
0: So how has it been this year? And also, uh, what, what are the, uh, I want to go into like what it's been like to track this year, but also I want to know more about what I haven't done any COVID track days. I haven't been out there. So like, how is that different? And how does that impact the car? Because from what I've heard, these track days are instead of being like, here's your 15, 20 minute session four or five times throughout the day, you're getting like, here's two hours on track, go figure it out.
1: Yeah, that is, that is a great point to bring up. So um my first track day first thing was in
0: june instead of
1: most of the time they start the end of march beginning of april around here in massachusetts um and i like that because it's still cold
0: and where was you that know,
1: cooler um it was at canaan in okay june.
0: canaan new hampshire
1: so and you've been there it gets hot um ironically that day it happened to be mid 70s it was actually pretty nice and the car was fine, but what wasn't fine was actually me. Um, A, I was extremely rusty. I hadn't done this in over in almost six months. Um, and then B, like you said before, um, what they're doing is to you know manage the amount of people that are inside the event, whether it be inside the actual grounds or on the track. They're instead just giving you sessions. So they'll say, okay, the advance group. Is from 9 a.m. to 11:30 a.m. That's your track time. Take it or leave it. Do what you want with it. Now it sounds that's that's,
0: that's, no, but that's that's. I can already see the problem because for me, I mean, even if it's a track I've been to before. This first session out is like, okay, you do a few safety laps with, with everybody yellow flagged, you get out there, you start finding a little bit of a rhythm and then you realize, whoa, whoa I'm rusty and these breaks, I need to bed them in again and all kinds of things like that. And then, you know, you, you, come in and the, in the 45 minutes to an hour that you have to think about what you've just done is so critical. I look at that as like sleep, you know, you've, your brain organizes your day for you in that hour And then you go back out and suddenly it's a lot easier. But if you had to just stay out there and choose your own, you know, time to come in for 15 minutes, I'd imagine that you don't get to really organize your brain and think in that 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. um, What I found was I was making a lot of rookie mistakes. I mean, you know, simple things like leaving my gloves on the roof of the car and jumping in the car quickly. And totally forgetting them on there because I am trying to get as much time as I can out there. Because instead of worrying about everything else, I'm worried about, oh my God, the clock's running down. I just got to get as much time in as I can. So I'm out there making mistakes on the track, making mistakes in the pits. And it's all for just this mental thought in the back of my mind that's like, okay, I've only got a finite amount of time I need to do this or else I am wasting my day.
0: Yeah, you wasted um, your day, you wasted your money. And on the other side, I mean, how was the car as far as heat management? Because now that you've done all these upgrades, you haven't done the hood yet, maybe yet. No, no, but, I have not. But did it hang in there? I mean, is it better it, than so, it was?
1: It did. It, actually held, it was way better um, this year than it was last year. Actually, so I did a little bit more than just a turbo blanket. I did a downpipe blanket a charge pipe blanket. So the, the, the blanket that goes over the inlet tube to, to the turbo um, from the intake, uh, there's a blanket over that um, because that is the, the main source of the heat, obviously, the turbo and the, that area. Um, so, And then I also changed the grill out. So I changed the grill again to an even more aggressive grill that literally has nothing besides grill. There's no emblems. There's no slats. There's no, you know, uh, there's nothing. It looks like a guppy. Um, It's a Jay's Racing Grill. So, and that, I think, made the biggest difference. Just like it did when I first put it on. The grill seems to make the biggest difference.
0: Well, there's one secret that you, we couldn't really talk about before, but I believe Acuity has announced this now. And the car had it last year, I think. It did. And (laughs) I want you to explain this, because this is really cool.
1: This is really cool. So, I'm going to botch this, so I am sorry to everybody at Acuity, especially Russell. (laughs) Well,
0: you can go to the Acuity website and look this up because there's great graphics of it, too. Yes. Yeah, they
1: do a great job of talking about it and explaining it, but I'll do my best. I'll do the Spark Notes version. Okay. So, um, essentially, you're reversing the flow of the uh, radiator um, by swapping the bottom hose. So, instead of this is going to get really complicated without any diagrams, but you're basically flipping the radiator hoses from the outflow, so the the flow that comes out of the engine, going to the bottom, it's going to the
0: top. Right. So instead of the hot, um, the hot coolant going from bottom or sorry, from top <laughs> to bottom, it goes from bottom to top. Or am yes. I am I missing that? Is it opposite?
1: No, 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 no. That I think that's the correct way. It's, right. It's be- the
0: opposite. Right. Because what they want to be able to do is get Cold. I, basically heat rises right so instead yes. of just putting hot coolant into the uh, god damn it exactly this is very <laughs> difficult
1: um so it, essentially what it does is it's giving cooler coolant temps into the engine um
0: Right. It, Basically, it has reverse, more time. Yeah. So you reverse the flow from bottom to top to top to bottom or whatever. I forget. I need to look at exactly. now I need to look at the diagram because I know I'm botching this. I'm so sorry, so, Russell oh, and Powell. Yeah, we both
1: yeah, this is <laughs> this is embarrassing. But furthermore, um when I put them on last year, it it was on the hottest track day of the year. And it immediately made a huge difference. Um specifically, it made the biggest difference in the cool down. So What I mean by that is when you let off the the gas pedal and you just are coasting or you're going slowly around a track, usually it's called a cool-down lap because you're letting the engine cool down, hence the name. Um, Before, it would take sometimes two to three laps to get this thing down to a reasonable temperature. Um, With these hoses, um, I could just do one little short cool-down blast through the pits and it would be cool and ready to go again. Um, and that was the noticeable difference. It it was way quicker to drop temps. Um, and it definitely has to do with those hoses. See, that's great. Especially
0: with these types of track days, because instead of having to go out and do like three or four cool down laps, come into the pits, open the hood, do that whole crap. If you can just let off for a lap, that's glorious. Cause my M3 is kind of like that where I can go out. I can I can do a few hot I can do like maybe two hot like actual hot laps like hot like me going like as hard as I can possibly go where I'm like pulling muscles in my back because that seat is a nightmare (laughs) and and then I've got to really just like baby it because two things that are happening one my oil temps are outrageous and two my brakes are going to crack I swear to God I swear to God those rotors will crack before the the fluid boils God bless RBF 600 not even 660 that stuff holds up really well.
1: Yeah. Um, it, yeah. I mean, first thing, if you're going out there on the track to, you know, try to beat everybody and, and set lap times, um, you know, you really should consider uh, stepping back a little bit because that's very dangerous. Just jumping out there and just going until the, either the engine expires or worse. Um, you know, you really want to mentally be in a good state. This Um, is why it's
0: critical to have good instructors too and like good role models when it comes to track driving. Because I think, you know, it's easy to think, oh, I go to a track day, I go drive really hard and then I go home. It's like, no, there's there's a lot, like you need to be very cautious with your instrument. These cars, most people's cars are not built to go hardcore for an hour or or even 35 minutes. Yeah. 35 minutes in a stock car, like full block, like it would literally, like I could go and take, I would explode.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you're asking for it to do is basically go, you know, sit on the rev limiter for a long period of time. We're talking, you know,
0: minutes. I think and a that good, may not. Yeah, yeah, good. A good example. I mean, any if anyone's a videographer out there, most camera, cinema camera has like huge cooling fans on it, right? So if you need to, if you need to be recording for more than 30 minutes at a time those cameras have massive massive cooling fans on them to keep them cool to record in like hd or 4k whereas when you get like a uh a canon um you know 1dx or a a mirrorless camera like a sony a7 III or a7s or a, what a7s2 those cameras, they can only record at their highest settings for like maybe 15 to 20 minutes before they literally overheat and say, no, we're done because it will just melt everything internally. So although they have the specs, right? So your car has these specs it can do zero to 60. it can do the Nürburgring in this much time. It can do this braking performance, all that stuff. It can do that under certain conditions, but it cannot just do it forever to your heart's content.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know it's very r- ridiculous to assume that your car can do zero to sixty in three seconds every single time, uh, especially when it's a manual um, and you're launching
0: it. Absolutely, so, I th- and, and that's why I think autocross is actually pretty abusive to cars because you do you don't you don't launch cars at a racetrack. Like it would be weird to do that. Like at least on track, you're able to slowly bring it up to temperature, enjoy the car, and then bring it back down. Whereas like at a race, at an autocross, you're just like, okay, I idled it for 10 minutes in the parking lot, (laughs) Uh, oil temps just over the first dot, you go and you launch it. So yeah, that's great. Your, your oil might be warm enough, but your diff is not your gearbox is maybe just a little bit up to temp. Your tires are totally not. And then you go rip on it. Redline, 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 and then stop. No airflow. Just, just cool it.
1: Yeah, I when I was younger, I would autocross a ton, and I I still love it. I love autocrossing. I think it's a great a great beginner intro into high performance driving. But there is something to be said about uh, understanding the limits of a car and also the machinery, um, because I mean, now that I look back, I don't think I even thought about you know the you know, the temperatures of anything because I was just so unaware of what was going on. But now that I look back on it, it's terrible for a car. Oh, it's
0: brutal. Absolutely horrible. brutal. Um, all right, let's let's go to the 8th gen for a little bit. Because I wanna I your eighth huh. gen Civic was honestly one of my favorite cars because it was the kind of thing where it had not all it had like basically no torque and it <laughs> had this beautiful transmission and amazing steering. You put very sticky tires on it, so it was a joy to drive fast and just chuck into corners. And I mean, you had you tuned it and cammed it and did all these things, and somehow it managed to make 283 horsepower to the wheels on a Mustang dyno. Yeah, and yeah, that Mustang. was at Brent Tuning. Tell me what was done to that car, because to this day I still get comments on that video about how I'm a a garbage human being, and I'm a troll. <laughs> and every day, every time I see those comments, I'm wondering, did Eddie lie to me three years ago?
1: Ha! <laughs> all right, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. It's all a fake. <laughs> I also, I also was the one who killed Kennedy. Uh, no, <laughs> you were so, a,
0: you you and your eighth gen Civic were on the grassy knoll.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, so. Uh, I love that car. I've missed that car dearly. Um, but what people have to remember is, and you were there at the end of its life.
0: It was on its last legs. Oh, that thing. Um, We, we did rev it to 10,000 RPM.
1: Yeah. I mean, it it was beat its It's, entire life. It stopped making
0: power about 9,200. You were
1: just, the last 800 RPM were just for shits and giggles, just
0: to see. Just to see that needle go beyond. (laughs) Exactly. Just past the tack. It was the, it was the, uh, the, like, you know, you turn the volume up to 11.
1: Exactly. Um, so that car, uh, actually has a pretty simple ish setup for a semi built engine. Um, So the top end, very simple, drag cartel DC 2.2 camshafts, um, super tech valve springs, stock valves, a uh, Acura throttle body off of a R, what was the one that weird looking Acura? ZDX?
0: ZDX.
1: Yeah. So that's the throttle body that's on it. That was on it.
0: It was like the Um, elephant racing dick the whale dick that uh yep. that and intake. then it had
1: a had a hybrid racing intake which at the time was the intake to have because it would scoop up water at an
0: alarming rate which we discovered or which you <laughs> di- i shouldn't say <laughs> exactly. we i was not there i cannot corroborate that story but i believe you so uh, did it make that power that's a real yeah dyno- and and uh, what about injectors i feel like people were like oh my god if it didn't have this Stock injectors. All right. That's where I get the most comments about this car is no effing way. Is he fueling this thing? And I, I'm like, <laughs> so seriously, had, go, go through the video. I have to I, deal I with this looked. on a weekly basis, dude. Cause like I get alerts for my comments and I, I'm like, I, haven't looked I wake up to in, this shit. I've woken up to it for three years.
1: I haven't looked in years. I'm going to be honest. And, and I wasn't there when it got dynoed. So I was in Florida. On vacation.
0: Oh, the conspiracy continues, man. So,
1: so, <laughs> so, but I'm sure if I wanted to, I could probably call up Bren and, and phone a friend and he could confirm it.
0: Well, he, he usually videos everything too. I bet there's a video of that car. I'm
1: sure there is. Um, but it's been on the dyno multiple times. I would say that car has been dyno more than all of my vehicles altogether. <laughs> that thing was the dyno whore. Um, <laughs> Because it was good, because what? Because it's NA. uh, It was really good at baselining the dyno when it had either gotten repairs or there was a new dyno. Because you have to, you know, when when you buy a new dyno, you want to have very similar, um, you know, data. Because next thing you know, another car, you know, the same car comes in on a new dyno. It could really screw the car up and the tune. Sure, if it's reading low or high.
0: Right, right. So you know, okay, we just dynoed this car uh, two months ago, and nothing's been changed, and it dynoed, you know, two twenty-five. So we bring in the new dyno, we put this car on, it reads two twenty-three. We are on target.
1: Exactly. It was used for that purpose. I mean, when he moved to the new shop, the car went right on the dyno because it was it was perfect for it.
0: And you were one of the first to dyno—actually, j- totally side story, but you were one of the first people to dyno a, uh, an actual production version of the Type R. Oh,
1: yeah. That was really cool. That went straight uh, on
0: the dyno, like the week you bought it. Straight on the
1: dyno. And, Same tank from the dealership, so who knows what was in it.
0: And just to just to give everyone some clarity on how early—you were an early buyer of that car. You paid over a sticker. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was stupid.
0: Well, um, no, I don't think it was stupid, though, because— it, w- <laughs> They're, they were over Sticker for a good six months, at least. They still are. It's crazy.
1: They still ask for it. Um, and now, actually, they're even more expensive, which is another thing. They've gone up significantly in price, I think, like a grand or two.
0: Well, that's because they have a volume knob.
1: Oh, yeah, the volume knob, I forgot. Your car is obsolete. Uh, I'm sorry. No. Oh, it's terrible.
0: Just a, it's terrible. a heap of garbage. Uh- <laughs> garbage.
1: So, so, anyways, yeah, no. So, we threw it on the dyno and made some crazy number i forget i think it was like 280 something
0: it was 283 trust me i know that like because i have to think about it all the time
1: i well so are we talking about the eighth gen or the oh oh sorry the the eighth gen
0: i don't remember the r the r was very close to 300 it was like 291 or something like that
1: yeah you remember numbers more than i do i I know i can't remember what i ate yesterday i know it
0: wasn't 300 but i i do remember it was like painfully close to it and we were all like whoa this is like honda really made this car like this is yeah it was like a porsche you know when you put a porsche on a dyno it's like the real number it's like that you think you're hearing crank they're like nah dude that's it i said 500 it's it's 495
1: yeah it was it was impressive to say the least because we didn't know what kind of fuel was in it and who the hell knows and it wasn't broken in yet or if they would even needed to be broken in Right.
0: Let's go back to, well, so, all right, we talked about cooling stuff, but you've done a lot. Your, your Honda has not just been a, 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 an effort in cooling. You've also done some aero, but you've never done any tuning. The engine is completely stopped. No. Other than, I guess the reversed, uh, coolant flow.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, besides that there is, and a drop in filter and a, uh, a tube, a silicone tube. Um, it is a stock tune and a stock motor. Um, and it's got a cat back on it now, um, thanks to our friends from AWE Exhaust.
0: That actually sounds good. I had I, I, I did a little. Uh, there's a couple of video clips of that somewhere on the YouTube oh, channel. It. That thing's great. I,
1: I love it. I like the sound. Um, it's. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It's hard to make these new engines, these newfangled four cylinders with turbos, uh, sound good, and they've done a pretty good job. Um, so congrats it's to not them.
0: a it's not <laughs> offensive though it's not a bad sound i i would say that like f80 m3s the s55 it's like an offense it's offensive i'm offended by it but like yeah. I'm, I'm not offended by the type r because i don't think it sounds bad it just doesn't it's just not the days when you had a 9000 rpm eighth gen that car sounded like an actual race car yeah
1: i mean the days of an engine sounding good for one are over Uh, we're getting
0: there we're getting there i think the last of the v10s and v12s from italy are going to be like that's going to be sad
1: oh don't even you know we're going to have to have those those dudes in the casket you know the dancing casket (laughs) show up for the last v12 Uh, but no i mean i think it sounds great but yeah no to your point um because of the cooling issues i had i experienced last year and all through last year and, you know, even into this year, I just feel like there's no point tuning it because as soon as you tune it, you, you know, you spike the boosts up. It's just going to get hotter. You're spinning everything faster. You're, you're pushing things beyond what they were designed to do. Uh, and I already am getting too hot. So what's the point?
0: What's on the horizon for, for you know, how long are you going to run this car? And I mean, are you also, are you personally feeling like you're still going to be, competitive on the track i'm
1: i was never really that competitive to begin with um it was more of just a thing of pride at this point because i find it really fun to drive a honda civic on the track I, a because a lot of people don't realize how good they are on track and b um i enjoy a challenge and it's definitely more of a challenge than going out and buying you know, uh, a Viper ACR, which I can't afford, but I'm just, you know, using it uh, as an instance and just, you know, going out there and being the fastest.
0: There is definitely a joy in having a car that is um, similar speed as the other vehicles on the track. And you bring up a good point when you say the Viper, because as, unless you're all your buddies are running GT3 RSs <laughs> and other Vipers um you're gonna be like really bored it's like you're you're playing the same game but with a game shark cheat codes. i don't know do kids do kids know what a game shark is is that i I don't think so no
1: you just you just i know what a game shark is but i don't think half of your viewers know what that is
0: at least i didn't say game genie that was the one for the super nintendo you remember the, uh, the remember the genie? I don't.
1: I that was before my time, Tom. All right. Well, game Ga- Sh- I know what it is, but I I didn't have a Super Nintendo.
0: A Game Shark was like this. I, I, it might have even been third party. I don't know if Sony even. It was sold no,
1: this. no, no. It was totally third party. Um, and essentially, what it was, it was a, a a back door into the the game, and it allowed you to you know basically put whatever you wanted in these games
0: and it was and it was a it was a physical thing with like like it was like an actual block that you would plug into the back of your playstation and you'd turn it on and then it it came with all these internal codes but you could go into it and program extra codes so what you'd basically what you'd do is there's two ways to play gran turismo You start the game and you've got a memory card and you get your licenses and you start with like a, I don't even remember the car. They get like a Peugeot 206 or something miserably slow or a Civic. And then you'd work your way up. Okay. And yeah, yeah, sorry about the Civic. (laughs) Um, But then you could, you know, if you get to a point where you're just like, dude, I just want to drive like an Escudo Pikes Peak, like hill climb car everywhere and, and do all the things you would go get a Game Shark and have unlimited money and it would just say like nine 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 like that was your bank account and you're like good let's tune all of the things it did take away from the game though because you weren't earning anything and maybe that's like a good life lesson (laughs) it's like you you win the lottery and it's just like who even cares anymore what's the point this doesn't i'm not deriving happiness because i'm not earning it but i will say i had a really fast um twin turbo lotus esprit i think it had a thousand horsepower
1: Oh my god, game shark, dude, that is a but, trip right.
0: down memory lane. Uh, but oh god, I really got sidetracked on that. But that's kind of what owning like a Viper ACR is like in the <laughs> midst of like normal people, right? Like you go to a yeah. racetrack, you go to a track day, like our mass tuning track days. If you show up with a Viper ACR, you literally brought a Formula 1 car. Like that the, the, there's nobody else who's going to touch that. And 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 while you might set some fun lap times, You're also going to be waiting in traffic. You're going to be frustrated by people who aren't pointing you by ahead of time while you're doing 160 down the back straight. Um, That's just, it's, there is definitely a joy in owning something that you all can enjoy. And that's one of the reasons why, for example, when we go on our little road trips up to Vermont, New Hampshire, we haven't done that this year, but I, I, you know, we all had kind of fast cars. Everything was at least 400 horsepower um I didn't ever want to bring my 911 to those things because you know everyone does their pull um in you know I won't say where but we've we've all definitely broken 160 on these roads I mean if we're heading somewhere and we're all doing 160 for a little while and then slow back down like I'm going to be chugging along in my big wheel Porsche uh trying to <laughs> trying to maintain it cuz I mean will the car do like 140 yes and me and you have done it on really old tires and we shouldn't have done it but like it's oh, not God. happy there. I don't, I wouldn't do that regularly.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you bring up a great point about, you know, the, the true, the truth about speed and having a fast car because, you know, it is a one trick pony sort of deal, even on the racetrack. Um, it's really cool for that, you know, couple, maybe couple times you go to the track and you are the man, okay, the fastest. Um, but then it kind of wears off and then people are like, Oh, here's that guy again. Here he shows up and you're the dude that everybody's just like, Oh, let him go by. And you're not actually learning anything. You're not gaining any confidence. You're not actually learning anything about yourself. Um, the only thing that you're doing is just burning gas and tires.
0: Right. And and you're not necessarily even fast. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm like 15 <laughs> seconds faster around a, a big circuit than your civic but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a 15 second faster driver because maybe the car uh-huh. maybe the car has 20 seconds in it.
1: Well, that's exactly yeah. I mean, you know, there's nothing that you can compare to or gauge to, so you're kind of in your own little bubble. Um, but that being said, you know, there's always a spot. There's always someone that's faster. So. Uh, that's another thing, you know, you always have to have expectations that, you know, someone's always going to be faster.
0: <laughs> I just did that slow car, fast video when I had, um, Eric's, uh, 98 M three, four, five, the four door M three really, really well bolted together car. Like he's built something really special. Very nice. I mean, it's like driving a brand new M three E 36. It's like super rare. Like everyone's E thirty sixes are destroyed. Like I've never, oh, yeah. I've never driven one that wasn't just a rattling bag of bolts or like a full blown stripped race car. And, but my audience, I I forget this sometimes, my audience is not just United States. So when you say slow car fast, the Europeans and the rest of the world go bananas at you because they're like, what do you, you're, this idiot is calling an E36 M3 slow. And like, they don't know what the American version of the car is. They don't know that we got like a basically 200 wheel horsepower car, which by its own right, was not slow in the 90s. But, I mean, dude, like, a V6 Camry is, like, under 6 to 60 right now. I think it's, like, 5.7 or 5.8 seconds. A Honda Accord is, like, 5.6. These are fast cars. These trap triple-digit speeds in the quarter mile. And that's a friggin' normal-ass car.
1: It's the whole the whole quest for speed has gotten so cheap that now it's starting to dwindle down into ordinary cars. I mean, heck, the Honda Odyssey, what a fast minivan.
0: I oh can't God. believe what you can do. So right now, I literally have it in my driveway right now, a 2020 Dodge Durango SRT. It's got the 6.4 liter Hemi that for the 392 uh, and I'm Eddie, this thing screws. It's got 200 and two, uh 295 section tires on every corner, not staggered. It's just like, Nope, you're getting square. Um, I kind of wish that kind of wish they made a wide body version of it with the 305s like they do with the, uh, the challenger and the, the charger, <laughs> but this thing launches consistently. Like I have had it. Um, it, it gives you all the timers on, the dashboard. And when I say the timers, I mean, the car is a video game. It literally posts up and says zero to 60 ready. And you stop. It says, let's go. And then you hit the launch button, slam your foot on the brake, floor it, drop the brake and go. And this thing will just repeatedly, and I don't do it repeatedly because I have no idea what the heat is like in this transmission. and I'm not about to be the one that breaks it, but this thing (laughs) will just anytime you want sub 4.8 seconds, zero to 60s like on any surface.
1: I mean, I think what's more impressive is the um, the brakes because that thing probably weighs close to 6,000 yeah, pounds. Yeah, it's
0: 5510 dry, I think. And that is not light. And you definitely notice it in the corners, but it handles um, surpri- like surprisingly well. I had it out on the highway. There's this, there's this on-ramp that I like because it's a hard right into a little bit of a chicane. And then there's a straightaway. And you just run it up to the end before there's another right onto the highway. So you get this beautiful uphill straight away and it really tests the torque and power of a car. Because if you can get this, if you can get a car up to a hundred by before you break into the last corner, um, it's a, it's a legitimately fast car. I had this up around 90. I, I want to say like 95. I mean, this is a truck. It's this a th- is a Dodge Durango. It's a three is- row seat truck with Blu-ray and DVD players, there's TV screens behind the friggin' driver and passenger seat, cooled seats. The thing can tow 8,700 pounds. So it's designed to bring your ACR to the track with your racing family.
1: Oh my God. And well, I, I, it's crazy. It's just, it's just, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that cars have gotten so fast. I mean, even like a, a base, you know, Focus or a Civic with a with those turbo motors, they're not slow. No. I mean,
0: you know, a Ford Fiesta ST, I think, is like a great example of when you have a good balanced car. That's the right amount of power. Like, that's what used to be fast. Like, for for like literally 1960s through the 1980s, like a Fiesta ST was like, uh, that would have been the hot hatch of your dreams. That would have been like, that would have destroyed everything on every racetrack, you know, barring like, you know, crazy Panteras.
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I talk about this all the time. Like when people are like, oh, my, my 70s Chevelle SS is really, really <laughs> this monster, you know, it's just untamable. Um, it's so funny because those things are not that fast most, in today's
0: world. Most like authentic muscle cars are kind of dogs. Now I gotta be, I gotta be, I gotta take a step back a little bit cause I haven't driven a lot of them, but I mean, we know what they are. You got these carbureted old cars and, and I will say, yes, they are hard to tame, but not necessarily because of the power it's because they're on platforms that like are S- archaic. I mean, even even with 200 horsepower, a Chevelle is probably terrifying at 90 miles an hour.
1: Yeah. Oh no, no. I would say it's more of the the factor of the the front is doing something different than the back when you're going on a corner. <laughs> Not,
0: yeah. There's no. There's no. There's no saving it if something bad happens. Yeah.
1: It's. Uh, but like you know, speed wise, you know, if you if you look at like the Fast and Furious movies when it's like. Uh, the old muscle car dom and his you know muscle car versus like a, a lamborghini or the or eclipse
0: a, or whatever yeah or whatever the Supra. i mean the re
1: the reality is i don't think the maybe apart from dom's charger because that thing always had some ridiculous engine in it but like the other cars i don't think they'd really stand a chance if they were the stock 1970s
0: cars no um No, I do think they made crazy things. I do think they made things that were way faster than anyone should had had any business driving, especially on the tires that people were using. Oh, back then, and the brakes—like, are you kidding me? Like, drums? Yeah, dude, it like, legitimately horrifying. It's no surprise that auto deaths were psychotic in the '70s because no one was wearing a seatbelt, and yeah, maybe they didn't have cell phones, but everyone (laughs) was just like, "Oh, I'm just gonna sidle up to my honey, and she's gonna sit in the middle on this bench seat." And then when we, you know, someone stops short in front of us, we're going to lock up all fours, slam through them, and go through the windshield. Like, oh, my God.
1: Yeah, you become passengers in the car in front. Jesus.
0: How did yeah. anyone survive?
1: That's when, uh, that's when you, you know, you take it for granted how safe cars have really become.
0: Well, and even in the last 10 years, one of the big safety things you notice is where you, where the door sill, where the window starts in the car. Because my M3, for example, the door is below my, sh- the window is below my shoulder. Um, I can put my arm like on the on the windowsill. Whereas like every new car, you can't do that anymore because they're protecting your body like from the neck down. So if you get hit from the side, you're not going to just get smashed in the shoulder. Like you actually have a car from the neck down, uh, you know. And that 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 is definitely apparent when you get into new cars that you're much more surrounded. But unfortunately, the the byproduct of that is reduced visibility by a long shot.
1: Yeah, it's um, definitely like going from the eighth gen to the tenth gen, which you know isn't that long ago. I mean, I think they made the HN until, what, like 2009, you know, which, yes, okay, it was 11 years ago, but it really isn't that long ago. The the um, The amount of progression in safety technologies is unbelievable. I mean, I don't think you could even have gotten, you know, any sort of passive technologies, and now you can get them in almost any of these cars.
0: I mean, when, uh, I, when I was in high school, and probably when you were in high school, well, you grew up in a probably a wealthier town. A lot of kids drove Cavaliers, Pontiac uh, Sunfires, uh-huh. like uh, or even even the old like what Jason Camisa calls the bitch basket, the the Volkswagen Cabriolet and Cabrillo. Oh my god. Who buys this shit for their children? What like that? That is the you. You. I feel like you had to be like a more clever version of jean JonBenet Ramsey's parents. You're just like, yeah, I want to kill my kids. What's the cleverest way to do it? Here's your <laughs> here's your new Pontiac Sunfire convertible, darling. Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, the, the the big the big three, as I'll say, the ones that everybody drove were besides that weren't their parents cars, of course. Right. Um that early 2000s ford taurus so that really ugly round one
0: yeah yep
1: those toyota camrys like you and i had yeah those were big
0: 95 96 camrys yep yep
1: Yep. and and then it was like cavalier i'll throw them all together cavalier first gen focus and like dodge stratuses those were big
0: the first gen focus now Oh god, the Dodge Stratus. We'll talk about that in a second. Holy shit, those were—you know—those were fast. The V6 thought, Stratus. Those. Yeah, because that
1: was like a Mitsubishi motor. Yeah, so.
0: that thing hauled like that had no business going as fast as it went. Um, but the Ford Focus. I remember. So when I was in high school, I worked at Puma. I worked at in retail and. It was around this time where, you know, I was like 17 and I probably was getting, I was I was discovering different crowds, right? So I had different kinds of friends, different groups. And, you know, I got into a little bit with the work friends there. I remember there were these, this couple that worked there. They were a few years older. They were probably like maybe 20, like 19 or 20. Um, Their names, I'm going to give their names, Kelly and Kyle. I'll never forget these two. They were like wicked scenesters. Kyle looked like Jake Weil, like really tall dude. Had like the the gauges in his ears, wore a hat, lip ring, all this stuff. Like he was like that seamster kid. And Kelly, you know, blonde, little scruffy ponytail, really cute, really small, tight jeans. The whole you know, always like black nail polish, that kind of thing. And they both loved cars. Now she drove a cobalt. It wasn't an SS, but it was a blue cobalt that she wishes was an SS. And <laughs> and then. And then he drove a, remember the first gen focus SVT.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Those are cool.
0: Now one day they invited me to, to go with them to Copley, which was a big deal. We live out in the boonies. So Boston was like, Whoa, we're going to Boston. You know, And it was the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't even want my parents to know I'm going with these people. Uh, so they I, I either met them somewhere or they picked me up in the focus and I remember being in the back of the focus getting onto 495 onto the highway like a big three-lane highway and he lifts mid-corner on the on-ramp and that was like the biggest oversteer moment I've ever experienced and I thought oh my god we're gonna die in this thing and he caught it he caught a god love him he caught it and it wasn't graceful It wasn't pretty. And this is like five minutes away from my house. We've got to drive an hour. So like the whole drive there was just horrifying to me because I'm like, oh no. But I'm thinking like, was, were those cars that prone to lift off oversteer or was he just like going way too fast?
1: I think it's a, it's a combination of both. I think it probably had European, you know, handling characteristics, which is lift off oversteer. Um, but also I'm sure he was going way too hot. And, uh, you know, it compounded the effects of the oversteer by when, you know, he braked really hard, the back end got even
0: lighter. Right. It may so... have even been wet. Like, it could have just been one of those situations <laughs> where, like, looking back today, if I had, like, looked at, like, I could go back and watch this happen. I'd be like, oh, my God. Like, literally everything went wrong. It's like a plane crash. There's a Pakistani plane crash that happened, uh, like, six months ago. And they finally came out with the report. Not only did the... Um, did the uh, airline pilot not have a valid license because he never got one? Think about oh, that. Oh, wonderful. He, 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 he didn't, his landing gear didn't go down. And he tried <laughs> to land it, didn't know the gear wasn't down, touched the runway when it slammed the engine and decides, "Ah, oh, we're going around, sends it back up and immediately crashes into the city. Oh right! So you you can you can deconstruct that, okay? And and as you watch it, knowing what you know, you're like, oh my god! Like literally, everything went wrong from start to finish. And so, if I were to go back and watch some of the crashes that my friends had, it would be like, wow, you knew nothing about car control.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. I would say only in the last decade has. You know, my abilities and to understand car control in general have really, you know, come to use. I don't think in my early 20s and and late teens, I gave a shit about what the hell the car was going to do. Well,
0: you know what it is, is, is when you're young and dumb and you're not actually out on track or whatever or you don't have proper training. All you think is I know how to drive, but the thing is, if someone sat you down with like a theory test and said, "If this happens, what do you do? A, B, C, or D?" You might not be able to answer it. Like, for example, you've your your front-wheel drive car mid-corner, the rear steps out. A, floor it. B, you know what I mean. Like, and and you've got to be able to know, like, I need to add power to the front to drag its ass out of this spin. Yeah. Whereas like in 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 a rear wheel drive car, there's a different approach. And front wheel drive cars always scared me because I wasn't used to them. I mean, honestly, like I do think that the fastest drivers or the some of the best drivers are the ones who know a front wheel drive platform inside and out. Well, thank you, Tom. No, I really do because I'll be honest, front wheel drive still I still have some PTSD from some really sketchy spins in my teen years Um, because there's something about a rear wheel drive car. if, If it steps way, way out, you know, you can always you either just spin it intentionally two feet in and it's gone or, you know, you feather the throttle and find your way back. Right. Whereas in a front wheel drive car, it's so much more like this brute force thing where you need to point where you need to go. You need to floor it. And when the rear snaps back, you need to make sure that you've released the lock on the wheel or else you're going to go into this horrific secondary spin the other direction. And I've felt that before having done it as a dumb 16 year old. And I, I, I really don't like that feeling. You know,
1: uh, you know, you know, um, you know what? <laughs> uh, so the, the funny thing with the front wheel drive cars, I think of a front wheel drive car as like a Hoosier slick. It is unbelievable in its limits. It'll do things that you didn't even think were possible in a car, let alone a front wheel drive car. But once you go over that threshold, once you start finding the end of the Hoosier's lifespan, It'll spit you out, good. And a front-wheel drive car, when you start having oversteer, and you're not prepared for it, or you do something that you know counterintuitive, like lift off and or slam on the brakes, like what you should do in most other cars, um, you're gonna have a seriously bad day,
0: dude. I'm t- it's like it's like an elastic band. Well, all right. I think that's our hour. Um, this is kind of like gonna be the cruise show. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah, I mean, you and I... It's Eddie.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, you and I are always... Well, not recently because of COVID. It's weird. It is so strange that we're doing this over the phone because usually you're about 10 feet from me. I
0: haven't... We have... We're like twins. I've been 10 feet from you for like two years. I know. I know. It's crazy. And it feels like I've been ripped out of my home. But, I mean, it's not all bad. The only thing that's tricky is trying to do things like this, it gets put off and off and off. And at first you're like, nah, 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 we can get together. We can get together. And you're like, you know what? This is stupid. We don't need to do this. Like we can yeah. just do this on the phone and be safe and not have to have that worry. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, you've been in a relationship for long enough, but I remember the days when maybe you make a mistake in your dating life um, and don't use the proper protection. And for the next three, four five days, it, it consumes you like, Oh no, is, did I get anything? And you know, you go get tested and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, this is just like that. It's just that, you know, you go and you you stand in a room with somebody and then for the next three, four, I mean, I guess 14 days, even you're like, did I get sick from that?
1: Yeah. You're, I mean, it's just strange that, you know, technically we live together, but for the last, I don't know, five months now, probably it's going to be five months you've been at your house and I've been at mine or I've been on the Cape.
0: It's very bizarre. Uh, and we're still paying, yeah. still paying that rent. So, still paying it. So, uh, but
1: hopefully that'll change. I mean, hopefully, you know, this, this goes away, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon. But, you know, I, I just want to tell, you know, especially you and a lot of people, you know, it, it is hard. It's not easy.
0: No. And- know,
1: so don't feel ashamed that, you know, you're struggling or stressed out or anxious about this. Cause it's, it's no joke.
0: No. And, you know, I talked about that in the GT4 video, um, mainly because, I mean, even in our group chat, you've seen I'm, I'm like doing those like mini cries for help where I'm like, guys, I miss that. Like, I miss you. I'm actually you know, you feel you feel like you're in prison. You feel like you want to crawl out of your own skin and it's it is hard. And then at the same time, I'll get commenters who are like, oh, you believe the hoax? I'm like, dude, it's a virus. It's a real like a hundred and something thousand Americans dead. like you're gonna come and tell me that like, oh, never forget nine eleven, but oh, this is fake. like you can you can go look at the graves, like this is happening right now. I don't understand how people politicize a sickness. It's very upsetting, and I you know, the most you can do is take personal responsibility,
1: yeah, absolutely, and especially if you're with living with people who have underlying conditions or elderly. Right. Um, the, la- the last thing you want to do is, oh, you know, I'm going to go to the bar with some buddies and, you know, but they're not going to be around and, and we're going to be safe. You're still putting people at risk.
0: Well, and every time you say, oh, we're going to be safe, like there's always 10 people without a mask. There's always those people, you know, every, every event that I've been to, where everyone's like, oh yeah, come on, we're just going to hang out outside. Like, no, no one's wearing a mask. And I'm like, okay. And then, so I stand far away from everybody and, you know, someone walks up to you, they want to like shake your hand. I'm like, dude, no, we're not doing handshakes here. I
1: know. And you look like the bad guy.
0: Yeah. And you look, yeah. And it's frustrating. You have to stand up for yourself. You have to stand up for your family if you are living with people who may be immunocompromised. So I, I don't
1: know. Absolutely. It's 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 a very uncomfortable topic. It really is. And it's well, it definitely... shouldn't be.
0: It shouldn't be. It should be so black and white and obvious that, like, hey, there's this thing that people have and it can it can potentially kill you. And even with a one percent or lower mortality rate, that is a lot of people when you think about millions of Americans. I mean, one percent of what, three hundred million is a lot of people.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, oh. I don't want
0: to see that that's that would devastate the economy like ravage it, destroy Sorry. yeah I wear mean, a mask I, exactly I mean and that's the thing I, I I know this is a car i know I know there's going to be people who are like, "Oh, stick to cars, stick to cars, shut up, but you know this is the i mean I am sticking to cars, and my my car world has been changed by this thing hmm. Uh-huh. Track days are not the same. Dealerships are not the same. My even me driving cars are not the same. When, when the press people come to drop off a car, they come. They've got masks. They're spraying hand sanitizer and, you know, whatever all over the car. Um, you know, when I when I have a fan car or a friend who's loaning me a car for a day, um, they can't come with me. That used to be a thing. A lot of my drives, I'd go out with them, and they'd be in the passenger seat, you know, because I'd maybe have some questions about it, or like, especially if it's a tuned car, someone who's like that—they've built it. Like, I mean, it's nice to have the owner there when I can quickly ask, like, "Oh, why does it do this? Or did you change this? This feels different." I uh, can't do that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's just very odd. I mean, you know, we all would get to get. I mean, just in general, we would get together. Can't do that anymore. Dude, and it's just I'm,
0: really I'm, hard. I'm, I mean, you know, and that's part of the car community because think about it. We all got together and what what's the most satisfying thing to do on like a Friday, Saturday night in the summer. You all just jam uh, your friend's driveway up with nice cars and you all just walk around. You're sipping your beer and you're looking at each other's car. Oh, you got that paint corrected. Oh, yeah. Check out the PPF. I just got new wheels. Oh, you got to hear this new exhaust. Like that was our life every single week. And now we're on this group chat and we all talk to each other, but you know what? A lot of things don't even translate well to text. And I, that's the thing I'm having a hard time with. Cause I have a dark sense of humor and often that comes off negatively. So sometimes I type shit and people are like, what the fuck did you just say? And I'm like, Oh, if you heard me, if you heard me say it, you would have laughed. I know. And when I read it, I'm like, fuck that looks bad. Well, thank you.
1: Well, what- What's, this has been fun.
0: Yeah. Well, what's next on, what's, what's, what's next? I mean, do you have another, another track day coming up? Yeah. I've got one this
1: Saturday, actually. Where are you going? Uh, at Thompson, down the street from you.
0: God, I love that track. It's a little rough. The, the, the pavement, there's some sketchy sections of pavement, but God, it's a fun track. It flows really nicely.
1: I, I like that track a lot. Um, it's a fast know, track
0: too. That, that straight away.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, Tom, I don't think people realize how lucky we are to have so many good tracks in New England.
0: Oh, we're spoiled. Rodden. Everyone spoiled. Everyone thinks California has all these tracks, and everybody, they do, but it's a huge state, and every time someone goes to a track day there, they're leaving their home at 3 in the morning, and it takes them hours to get wherever they're going, whereas we are like, oh, it's two hours away. What a pain in the ass, you know? i got to wake up at 6.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would say Palmer is up there on one of the best racetracks tracks in the United States and it's in our backyard
0: easily top 10 it's it's a different kind of track I'd say Palmer is probably one of the most modern racetracks in the country as far as design
1: yeah it's not just your usual straightaway setup with you know apex after apex it's it almost flows like a back road that's what I tell people a lot of it. it it feels like you're driving like an unbelievable back road
0: well, good luck at Thompson and I'm looking forward to seeing how the Honda holds up. I don't, have you changed, yeah. have you changed anything from last track day to this one?
1: No, the only thing I've changed is my attitude, which is, you know, have a better, better attitude with the whole, you know, situation, you know, you just got to go in it, uh, be as positive as you can because it's not going to be your usual. I no. mean, I, I. And we all have to adapt. So, well, how is, but, I
0: know this is really specific, but how is it when you are off track? I mean, cause I, one of the things that was nice is like, I was never paying for a paddock, but you know, you park outside and then you walk in with your buddies, but I guess there's not really time to do that at these events anyway.
1: Well, so actually this is going to be the first semi normal event. What I mean by that is it's an all day event. It's not just here's your two hour slot. Good fucking luck. Right. Uh, this is a full-on, you know, four-run uh, groups, um, you know, all-day activity. So bu- so I'm really, you know, I'm not expecting much. But, you know, when I was there, it's, it's hard to hear people through masks. I mean, so not only that, uh, it's very hot. You know, you don't want to be outside that long anyways. And now since you can't go under a tent or in a garage paddock. Cause they have them all, you know, half of them are blocked off anyhow. Um, it's, uh, it's different. It really is. Well, but, and I um,
0: imagine for anyone who's coming in fresh, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, you know, a, a, a novice to intermediate as far as like who actually are fast drive. I mean, that's the thing we, when we talk about people who are fast, we're talking about people we know who are fast, not like really actually fast people. Um, like when you get in with a real race car driver, it's incredible when you figure out how horrible you are at driving a car. Um, but, but like there's something to be said where if you were really, really fresh to, to what this was, right. I can't imagine doing this without a an instructor sitting next to me. A lead follow on a, a walkie talkie is not the same.
1: It's like playing a video game that was designed for HD in like standard definition on a CRT and you, it basically you're looking through a tiny little, you know, microscope.
0: It would literally like, I've never golfed a day in my life. It would be like <laughs> me trying to go golf without anybody helping me.
1: Yeah. It's, and, and it's dangerous. Oh, Racing wicked. absolutely on the track, whether it be, you know, for time, wheel to wheel, anything, just getting yourself on the track is dangerous. So, not having any experience, and then being told everything through a, a walkie-talkie that, no offense, probably isn't the, the greatest in quality, so you can't hear half the time because everybody forgets to hold the button down before they speak. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's very scary. So, you know, if you're, this is your first time, I highly recommend waiting until they allow either, you know, passengers, so an instructor inside the car, or, uh, you know, if you can be a passenger, uh, take some ride-alongs. Absolutely. Because...
0: Ride-along changes the game. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, that's the real changer. I mean, even, even I ask people to drive my car who are better than me because I like to see what I'm doing wrong.
0: It's incredible um, when you go out, especially, you know what really... Oh, man, the, the worst thing that can happen at a track day other than crashing is you go out for three of your four sessions and then between your third and fourth session, you say, you know what? Screw it. I need to go out and ride along with my instructor. And so he takes you out in his, you know, whatever bananas race car he's driving. And you just, like the Matrix, see every stupid mistake you made the whole day. And you've only got one session to play with to to, to do it all right again. I hate that. And you're like, oh, you break here? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like
1: it's like loading up the game shark, you know? And right. uh, just going straight to the final boss.
0: Right. And, and it's just funny when like sometimes your own stubbornness and like, oh, man, uh, this isn't flowing from turn three to turn four or whatever. And it's like, yeah, because you, you've been taking it wrong all day and you've been following other idiots in your own run group. All you had to do was this and you would have yeah. been you would have been great. And then yeah. you're like, okay, OK, good. I've got 15 minutes to go have fun with that now. So always uh, if you have the opportunity to do a ride along, do it early as early in the day as possible
1: it's probably the best thing for me anyways i'm a visual learner so watching someone else you know do it is, is the best for me i mean i can look at hardcore data off my data recorder for hours and all i'm seeing is just numbers
0: no but i, it, I can't well, i can't even watch track videos and glean anything from it until i've driven the track and that means nothing to me it's mm-hmm. like it's like it's like me learning guitar and just watching kurt cobain play at a concert like that doesn't help <laughs> it doesn't help me <laughs> I have no idea what that feels like. I have no idea what he's actually doing. I can watch it over and over and over again. It won't help me play a guitar better than I'm playing it now. So, all right. I think that's a good place to wrap. Thank you uh, for for coming on. Um, And I'm sure you'll be on a lot because, uh, you know, I would have liked to be able to bring lots and lots and lots of people into Garage 42. Um, Luckily, they are, however, doing private tours. So if Garage 42 is something that you want to see, maybe it's a place you want to store your car. Um, you know, join the little club, Uh, give him a call. But for now, this is what's up. Um, We will do some in-person interviews there. I think I might do that with um, PTSRS uh, at some point soon. I'm really looking forward to talking to him. He is a different kind of car person. Me and Eddie can talk about sway bars and tire technology and uh, cooling your oil all day long, whereas this guy is so detail-oriented with how cars are built, designed and marketed that it's just, he has a knowledge, a set of knowledge that I just, I, I only brush the surface. So that'll be fun. But thanks again, Edward Siegel, my boy. I miss you. Thank
1: you for having me. Miss you too, buddy. Right. Hopefully um, we'll get together soon.
0: Well, don't forget to respect the drive.